Good morning. Welcome to you all. Glad to see that you're here worshiping with us today. And we hope that if you um, are a first-time visitor that this will not be a last-time visit. We hope that you'll be here on many, many future occasions to worship with us. And if you're new to the community, I think you will find, as, uh, as I have found over these last six years, that this is a great church to be a part of. So we invite you to, to make this your home if you're looking for a church home. Um, a lot of good things going on in the life of this church always. We're just a few weeks away from the departure of our youth on their mission trip. Uh, but today, we have an occasion to be together out at Lake Cunningham between 5 and 8 p.m. for good food, fun, and fellowship. We ask you to bring some side, picnic side dish or two to share, and drinks and meat will be provided. Uh, this is uh, for everyone, not just uh, uh, young folks or with children. This is a whole group. We hope to have you there, and we look forward to your being there. Of course, you will want to be dressed cool for the hot weather. I understand Ralph is going to be there in his Speedo, so you just uh, plan to be there. Also, the uh, next wonderful Wednesday will be on June the 30th. Uh, we had a great time last week on movie day with the children. This week, the children are going to enjoy a fun day at Monkey Joe's. Uh, please see Katie Jeter today if you'd like your child to be going on that outing. Or you can sign up online at greerchurch.com or there is a tear out somewhere in the bulletin that you can uh, fill your name in and put it in the bulletin, uh, put it in the offering plate rather, when we receive our offering uh, later today. Let us now uh, worship God together.
us affirm our faith in God using the words of the Apostles' Creed found on page 881 in your hymnal. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Be seated, please. <clears throat> Our Old Testament lesson is from 2 Kings, chapter 2, verses 1 through 2, and then 6 through 14. When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way to Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, stay here, the Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. And so they went down to Bethel. Then Elijah said to him, stay here, the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. And he replied, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So the two of them walked on. Fifty men of the company of the prophets went and stood at a distance facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the Jordan. Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up, and struck the water with it, and the water divided to the right and to the left, and the two of them crossed over on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, tell me what I can do for you before I am taken from you. Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elisha replied. You've asked a difficult thing, Elijah said. Yet, if you see me when I am taken from you, it will be yours, otherwise not. As they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them, and Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elisha saw this and cried out, my father, my father, the chariot, the chariots and horsemen of Israel, and Elijah saw him no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes and tore them apart. He picked up the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and went back and stood at the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the cloak that had fallen from him and struck the water with it. Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah, he asked. When he struck the water, it divided to the right and to the left, and he crossed over. The company of the prophets from Jericho who were there watching said, The spirit of Elijah is resting on Elisha. And they went to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. Look, they said, we are your servants, and we have fifty able men. Let them go and look for your master. Perhaps the spirit of the Lord has picked him up and set him down on some mountain or on some valley. No, Elisha replied, do not send them. Here ends the lesson. Our responsive reading is from Psalm 77 on page 798. I invite you to turn to that page as you're able and, and stand uh, as you're able and uh, we will share this passage together responsibly. I cry aloud to God, aloud that God may hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out continually. My soul I will call to mind the deeds of the Lord. I will remember your wonders of old. I will meditate on all your work and muse on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. You are the God who works wonders. You manifested your might among the peoples. You redeemed the 
When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid, the very deeps trembled. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings illuminated the world. Your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. Epistle reading is Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, and then verses 13 through 25. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature, rather serve one another in love. The entire law is is summed up in the single command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the, the desires of the sinful nature, For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not know what you you want. But if you're led by the spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Here ends the lesson.
Let us join our hearts together in prayer. Lord, we are so inspired as we read about people like Elijah and Elisha who seem to live a life of commitment and dedication and consecration to you that is far beyond what any of us here uh, have achieved in terms of dedicating ourselves totally to your work. And yet we see them as examples of what can happen when people draw close to God and give themselves as completely as they know how to do to Almighty God. We're thankful for the example of the Apostle Paul also who talked about the freedom that we're called to enjoy in Christ, freedom from sin and freedom from a life just guided only by rules and not by loving our neighbor as ourselves. We are thankful for this. We recognize that Paul is another one who is an example of what can happen in a community of people when someone makes it a habit of being yielded daily to Almighty God. So we pray, Lord, that you would lead others in the community of faith to be like Elijah, Elisha, and Paul, who commit more of themselves to you. And we know, Lord, that that always results in your actions through those people in the world. And we're especially mindful of Jesus who went from town to town and place to place proclaiming the kingdom of God and how we humans can live under the direction of Almighty God and thinking always of what God would have us do and how God would have us live. And we see in Jesus another person although we profess him to be far more than any other person who ever lived, we know him to be our risen Savior. And yet we see him as an example of one who was so yielded to God his Father that life was changed forever by his life here on earth. We see these examples, Lord, and we say to you, here we are. Use us. 
receive our gifts of ourselves to you. Draw us closer to yourself that you might use us in some wonderful, mighty ways in this world that we live in today. Lord, we remember our friends and family members in this church and in our community who especially need your touch today, your touch of healing, your touch of encouragement, your comfort for those who are grieving or lonely. And Lord, we ask you to bring these dear ones to mind and allow us, Lord, to put legs on our prayers that we might be the answers to the prayers that we make for these who need your love this day. We pray in the name of Jesus, who taught us all to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. And now let us worship God by giving.
please. Our gospel reading is from Luke's gospel, chapter 9, verses 51 through 62. As the time approached for Jesus to be taken up to heaven, he resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And he sent messengers on ahead who went to a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples James and John saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them, and they went to another village. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have holes and birds Of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord. But first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, No one who puts his his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Here ends the lesson. The Gospel of Luke has 24 chapters. That would make the middle part of the book somewhere around chapter 12. But from the standpoint of the flow of the gospel narrative, the midpoint of the story is in chapter 9. It is in chapter 9 that Jesus asked his disciples the question, Who do you say I am? And Peter was the first one to express what they were coming to believe. Why, you are the Christ, the Christ of God. From that moment on, Jesus changed the direction of his ministry, aiming relentlessly for Jerusalem. And he began describing to them what would happen once he got to Jerusalem. The remainder of the book is given over to that journey to Jerusalem and that week in Jerusalem, his betrayal, trial, crucifixion, resurrection. That's why Luke says in verse 51 that the time was getting near for Jesus to be taken back up into heaven. That is, it was getting close to the end of the story in the time of Jesus' exaltation. Mark tells us that Peter's confession occurred somewhere in the vicinity of Caesarea Philippi. Jerusalem was far to the south from there, and Samaria was in between. Most devout Hebrew travelers from the north who were headed for Jerusalem went way out of their way to avoid the Samaritan region altogether. But Jesus always looking for a chance to preach to the lost sheep of Israel, and the Samaritans were uh, distant cousins of the Hebrew people, wanted to spend some time with the Samaritans, proclaiming the good news to them too. As was his custom, he sent some of the disciples into a Samaritan village to get things ready for his coming, One of the disciples who was sent probably explained to the Samaritans that the master was about to pass through on his way to Jerusalem, and so he wanted to take some time to spend with them as he journeyed by. And that was the wrong information to give to that uh, village's uh, leaders. Anyone headed for the Jewish capital of Jerusalem was not welcome in that Samaritan village. Now, you and I like telling jokes about, you know, how Carolina fans will go out of their way not to go anywhere near the the northeast sector of the state of South Carolina. They don't want to get too close to Clemson. 
Uh, no, I won't say anything about last night. But, uh, you know, we tease about that. But uh, back in that day, that culture, that, they were serious about this. It was serious business. Relationship between the people of Samaria and the people of Jerusalem were beyond strained. There was outright hostility between them. There was a good reason that Jesus told the parable of the good Samaritan and not the good Greek. The people of Judah didn't think there could be any good Samaritans ever. And the Samaritans felt the same way about the Jews. Because of the political tension that existed between these two, the Son of God, just think about this, the Son of God was denied entrance into a city because of the political tensions between two groups of people. This was not the first time, nor would it be the last time, that the gospel has been held captive in our world to political and social forces. But it's always sad to me when it happens. Think about this. The good news of the kingdom of God was not able to be preached because somebody didn't like the nationality of the preachers. Cultures in our world today have denied themselves doctors, teachers, and pastors because they didn't like the country of origin of those missionaries. Lost souls failed to get to hear the good news about Jesus, not because they are closed to the gospel, but because they dislike the people bringing the message. What a tragedy this is. There are entire sections of the world which are closed today to the preaching of the gospel because of political issues. The people in that Samaritan village did not welcome Jesus because he was headed for Jerusalem. The disciples' reaction to this, especially the disciples James and John, is a very, very human one. It isn't a surprise when we read in another place that Jesus gave those boys a nickname, Sons of Thunder, because they had uh, thunderous dispositions and tempers, like a lot of us who are here. What? Not allow Jesus into your town? Let's bomb them back to the Stone Age. Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy them? Forgetting for a moment the question of whether or not they had the power to do that, the immediate question is, is this something they should attempt to do? Jesus' response indicates far more than simple correction to these thunder boys. It was a very sharp correction, just like your mama and daddy used to give you when you did or said something that was totally out of line. And maybe it was a look that let you, know, you knew, let you know that you just better be quiet and say no more. You remember those looks from your parents? You knew in no uncertain terms that you were way out of line. Their attitude was wrong, far removed from the attitude of Jesus. And their proposed action was also out of line when you compare it to the one who had come into the world not to condemn or destroy but to save the world. It is good news for us to know that when we get out of line, Jesus comes to us to correct us, bringing our attitudes and actions back under his will and his way. Jesus gave the disciples his immediate response to being rejected by that Samaritan village. His response was, well, go somewhere else. Find another place I can go. One door had closed, but that did not mean that every door was closed. Jesus was so focused on getting the message about God's kingdom out to the world, to as many people as he could, that one village's refusal opened the door for another village to receive his visit. It looked to me like Jesus spent next to no time brooding about the rejection nursing his hurt feelings. Instead, he focused on what the future might provide. What was the next opportunity that he could preach? And they went to find another village. What a good example this is for you and for me. 
We need to shake off our mistakes and our rejections and move on in the kingdom of God to find the next opportunity we have to offer service to someone in Christ's name. We shouldn't nurture the failure or the feelings of being rejected. You just move on to the next good opportunity. One of the best preparations that I ever had for the ministry was working for an insurance agency. You will notice that I didn't say selling insurance because I didn't do much of that. But I did work for an insurance agency. And I saw how successful agents uh, managed to be successful. First of all, they knew their products backwards and forwards completely. They knew everything there was to know about the product. And then they went out to find as many chances as they could to tell the story of what they had to offer. If one customer turned them down, they didn't fuss or fume or say bad things about that customer because a no today might be a yes tomorrow. But they immediately turned their attention to the next opportunity to tell that story, convinced that if they would just take advantage of the opportunities that were theirs, somebody would listen. You have to have great confidence in your product, such great confidence that your timidity does not hamper you. And that was Jesus' attitude. He knew that living under God's reign would be good for everybody. And so if someone today turned him down, he went to someone else who might say yes, who could respond to God's invitation to live under God's rule. The remainder of today's gospel lesson is a collection of sayings uh, from Jesus to various people who came at probably different times, and Luke just wanted to bring all these together. Some of these people that came to Jesus were volunteering to serve as a disciple, and some were actually invited by Jesus to come and join the band of disciples. We really aren't told what the reactions of the people are to what Jesus told them. Some of them might have come ahead and joined the disciples, but others may have changed their minds and left and gone back home. The point of all these sayings is to make sure that would-be disciples know just exactly what is expected of followers of Jesus and to point out the very high value that Jesus placed upon the work of the kingdom and the work of spreading the news about God's kingdom. The first man expressed uh, the commitment of someone who sounds like he is a star-struck fan of Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus, I will go with you wherever you go. He may have imagined bright lights and fame and fortune. After all, Jesus was someone who fed the multitudes on a few scraps of food he can heal the sick and raise the dead. Lord, I just can't wait to, to see what you're going to do next. Jesus gave that man a dose of reality. Foxes have burrows. Birds have nests. But the Son of Man and his disciples never know if, when, or where they will be sleeping. Jesus was telling that man and others like him, that the work of the kingdom was so important that very little attention would be given to what most people consider the necessities of life. That they weren't going to worry about food and shelter. If they had it, great. If not, okay. They would take whatever they could find because nothing was more important than the proclamation of God's love. Many nights would be spent out under the stars and the focus would be on their preaching, not their accommodations. Can you live with this kind of uncertainty? Jesus was asking that man. One of the things that we still ask Methodist pastors who are beginning in ministry is, are, are you so much in debt that you cannot live um, under the um, meager kind of salaries that most young pastors start out with? And uh, thank goodness most of us don't embarrass easily because we do have embarrassing loads of debt most of the time. But um, the, the, right from the start, our bishop reminds uh, our young pastors, um, this isn't a gravy train. You're signing on for, for some tough times. 
you may not make much money in this work. Speaking of this, I just happened to realize this is Andy's last Sunday with us for a while at this service. He'll be at the early service, but starting next week, he'll be preaching during this hour at a church down the road. And Andy, I hope you can uh, live with uh, the salary that uh, you will be receiving across the years. Um, but I remember a few years ago uh, in, in Iraq when, when we had our soldiers there for the first time, uh, word was leaked to the press that there was a morale problem among our soldiers who were living in the desert in uh, very hot conditions without many creature comforts. And the, the troops were having a morale problem. I never will forget one of the uh, commanding officers who was put on television that day and he looked at his troop, his soldiers out there and he said, there will be no morale problem in this troop. Is that clear? And they all said, yes, sir. Well, that's kind of what Jesus was saying. We're not going to worry about morale. We've got a job to do. We're going to do it. Jesus was setting us up to know exactly what it is it would be, uh, we would be asked to do. The message paraphrase of the Bible has Jesus answering this man with these words, Are you ready to rough it? We're not staying in the best ends, you know. It might not be as easy. It might not be glamorous. As the bumper sticker said, Christian discipleship is not for sissies. The second example of a person coming to Jesus is somebody who responded to a personal invitation from Jesus to come and follow. Who could turn down a message, an invitation from the master? But this man responded that indeed he wanted to follow Jesus, but first he had to go bury his father. It probably means, as the Living Bible suggests, that the, the man actually meant, I need to go back home and stay and live with my father until he dies, which could be five years, 10 years, and after his death, I will come and follow you. Or it could mean, more literally, that the man had to go and make some funeral arrangements that day because his father had already died. Either way, the man was planning to put off a life of following Jesus until after his father's death and burial. My father had two very close friends growing up, and they fell in love when they were in high school. But they were both the babies of their families, and both of them had widowed mothers to take care of. And so they promised each other that they would get married as soon as their mothers had died. Those mamas lived to be over 100. But true to their agreement, they did finally get married. They were both over 65 when they got married. That's a little late to start having a family, don't you think? Loyalty to your parents is a wonderful thing. But Jesus was trying to say, nothing is more important than being involved in spreading the good news about God's kingdom. Again, quoting from the message, first things first, your business is life, not death. And life is urgent. Get busy announcing, announcing God's kingdom. The last person seems to suffer from a divided loyalty. Lord, I want to follow you, but I love my family and friends. I need to go and tell them goodbye. I want you to know, I confess to you that the most difficult thing to me about being a pastor uh, is that I'm a real homebody and I had to leave my hometown when I started out in this journey and that was tough for me. Spartanburg has been home to every side of my family dating back to 1800, five or six generations. I have more second cousins than y'all have here in attendance today, and I know most of them by name. When we lived in the middle part of the state of South Carolina, in Irmo and in Salute and Edgefield, I used to wake up almost feeling like crying because it had been a long time since I'd seen dear old Hogback Mountain. I got a good friend in the ministry who said that his grandfather told him, boy, if you've wandered so far you can't see Hogback, you've wandered too far. And uh, I kind of feel that way. I thought I had died and gone to heaven when I got moved to Greenville in 1987 
And then I got exiled to the Charlotte area, Rock Hill, in 1992. I've been home again since 1998. And even though I've promised our bishop in our annual conference that I will go wherever and whenever, I sure hope I never have to wake up again in a place I can't see my mountains. Lord, I'll follow you, but don't take me out of sight of Hogback Mountain, please. Jesus answered this man by employing an illustration from the farm. Now, I admit I have never plowed, even though some of you may have thought that perhaps I had been once upon a time pulling the plow, but I have not. But I am told that the only way that you can make a straight furrow is to pay close attention to where you're headed. You fix your eyes on a point out there ahead of you and you aim for that with your plow. If you look back to see how you've been doing, you'll start making a crooked furrow. Disciples who are more homesick than they are dedicated to God's kingdom are really not ready for service in God's kingdom, Jesus said. Another one said, Lord, I'm ready to follow you, but first, excuse me while I get things straightened out at home. And Jesus replied, no procrastination, no backward looks. You can't put God's kingdom off until tomorrow. Seize the day. Again, quoting from the message. Hey, you out there, Jesus has called you to serve in God's kingdom. What's your excuse? What are you waiting for? Amen. As we sing our last uh, hymn today, I know we have some folks coming to join us, and others who might wish to join us are also welcome, or you're always welcome to come forward a moment to kneel in prayer. Uh, if that is your need as well. Thank you. 